I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to Blue Jays Nation Radio with Cam Lewis and Tyler Uremchuk, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Welcome in. This is episode 70. Of Blue Jays Nation Radio, Tyler Ramchuk and Cam Lewis with you to recap a series against the Houston Astros. As always, podcast is brought to you by DoorDash. Ding dong. Where's my button? Do I have it? Come on. Where is it? Ding there dong. it is. Uh, that worked well. BJN Pod DD is the promo code 25% off. No delivery fees on your first order when you use that bad boy. Coomzy, heading into this series, we weren't feeling super optimistic. We were talking about how, hey, if you just win one, we're probably going to be happy about it. And the Jays go out, take the first two games of the series. They play some tight ball games. I come away from that feeling better about the team than I did before the series. Yeah, you clipped that um, that one little clip of me talking and I was like, you know what? This just kind of feels like a situation where they might get swept. I just hope that doesn't happen. And then they come in and win the first two games. And then yeah. Sunday just feels like gravy. Like, I mean, they just got walked off. Uh, you have two run bomb after they had gone ahead in the 10th inning. And it's like, I should be feeling sad right now, but I'm not at all. Taking two out of three in Houston is so good. They never play well there. This is a team they always have a difficult yeah. time with, especially when they're there. Like, I remember even just, like, years back, like, remember when the Astros sucked? And it was like, remember in 2014, the Astros were dog shit. I swear they lost, like, 120 games that year. And the Jays went down there right after the trade deadline when they were competitive, and they just got weirdly railed. It's just like, Houston feels cursed. And then yeah. this time, they just came in and won two or three when it did not seem like they were going to. So that's... That, that feels pretty important. Feels back, good. Back in uh, 2014, the Astros finished the year 70 and 92. So, yeah, they were. That's uh, better than I thought they were. Yeah, they I were thought, uh, not good. I thought they, I swear there was one year where they lost like 120 games. There they was like definitely 40. a year. Yeah. 2013, maybe it was. Yeah, maybe. Um, I'm trying to see if I can find that series you're talking about. Uh, yeah, it's you're right. So be- it was in 2014. The Astros like randomly took three or four from the Jays in August. Um, yep. that was a nightmare series because it was right when they were they were pushing pretty hard for one of the wild card spots and they were playing quite well and they went in against Houston and Anthopolis did nothing at the trade deadline and everybody was pissed and that was the and year then, what did that was when Batista said that thing right yeah complained about it yeah um anyways yeah it was good to see them go out and the one thing that's 
sort of sticking out as a trend here for for this team is so many close ball games, right? Like you go back through everything. You just played three straight one run games against the Astros. Your series against Boston had two one run games in it. Your series against uh, Oakland had, I mean, it was a 7-5 loss and a 4-3 win to end that series. It's been a long stretch here now, like 10 games of a lot of really, really tight baseball games. And I wonder... It's good that they're coming out on the right side of most of them, I suppose, but would still like to maybe see this team once in a while just make like a statement 8182 win, right? Is that like unnecessary of me to be asking? No, that's fine. Like I think the the reality with the close games is you have it's it's a it's a double-edged sword. There's a positive and a negative. The reason they're in all these close games is because the relief pitchers have been amazing. Like think back to the Friday game. Stripling pitch is okay. It's four innings, three earned runs, whatever. That's fine from your number six starter. And then Thornton, Simber, Mesa, Romano do five innings and barely get touched. It was like two hits, one walk. There were two just hits dominant. and they both came off Romano. Yeah, both were on Romano. He was he was the the one that looked the worst of all of them, which isn't surprising because he's gassed. And then the second game, Manoa pitches great. And again, same thing, three more lockdown innings. And then even in the third game, Romano ends up blowing it, obviously. And Phelps also allowed a run, but it was only three and two thirds from Kikuchi. And, you know, there was a lot of good relief pitching in that outing as well. But on the other side of that, the bats are obviously like nowhere near where they should be. There's still guys that are you know, they look behind like Bobichet example. Yeah. Even like uh, Matt Chapman, Lourdes Gurriel, they had some big hits too, but they just still seem like they're a little bit behind. It feels like Vladi is kind of just the one bat who's really on. Well, then you also have like your Santiago Espinal and Zach Collins type like depth contributors, but yeah. the big bats are obviously nowhere near rolling. Well, we'll get into that in three up, three down. Uh, one guy we're not going to mention in that segment is Lourdes Gurriel, who had himself a good game with the bat, hit his first home run of the year. So it's great to see a guy kind of get off the schneid in that regard. He hit a hard, hard ball in the 10th inning mm-hmm. that ended up scoring a run as well. And then you had, and a lot of people made this joke, the complete Lourdes Gurriel outfield experience where yeah. he cannot make a play, looks awkward as hell trying to get that thing done. And then just picks up the ball, fires a cannon to third base, pretty much standing still and gets the out. Um, that was a good final game from Gurriel, but it also like weirdly could have been a disastrous final game of the series for, for Gurriel. Yeah, that was funny. That's just like, yeah, I tweeted that on the Blue Jays Nation account. It was like the full experience. It's like that guy at all times feels like he's walking the tightrope. And that's just who he is as a player. It's like he's either really hot and just hitting everything or he's really cold and he's hitting literally nothing. And then in the field, he's either just fucking up and doing insane stuff or he's making gorgeous plays. Like remember in the first game of the season, he makes that sliding catch. And then we've seen him gun guys down like nonstop, but it's just, that guy is so full of chaos. And I just really hope that the dinger today and the offense today is like the start of him heating up because I swear their lineup lives and dies with him. That's a great point. Like we, and we've seen it over the last couple of years where he goes on these stretches where for like six weeks a season, He's the hottest hitter in the American League. And he's like, he hits everything. And then there are runs like we've kind of seen to start the season where he looks a little slow and behind. And then you start to wonder about the fielding side of it. And you're like, okay, if the bat's not going to be exceptional, what are you giving up by having him out in left field? Because sometimes it's an absolute adventure. It really is. He's such a he's such a chaotic player, but very entertaining player. We saw the best of him today. Yeah, we did. Uh, Let's get into three up, three down here. And I want to start with the ups because this was a good series. Taking two out of the three was solid. Uh, Yeah, good vibes. Zach Collins. Hello. 
this guy, I mean, he comes into that final game, teams down by three, and he goes and crushes a three-run bomb to even things up. He ends up going two for five on the game as well. He did not play in game two of the series, and he went 0 for four in the first game. But still, the fact that this guy comes in in the third game and and does that and finds a way to make an impact, um, beyond impressive what he's been doing so far. One thing that's kind of important to mention about Zach Collins is that he's not just some random guy that, you know, a creative player like, you know, they, they get him in a trade for Reese McGuire one for one. You're kind of like, OK, you know, this is a nobody. He's just roster fodder. But he was drafted by the White Sox 10th overall in the 2016 wow. draft. That's only six years ago. He put good numbers up in the minors. He just wasn't really able to hit his stride with the White Sox. And the Jays have a history of finding guys like this. Maybe not necessarily former top picks, but lots of just random guys coming and figuring it out when they're in their mid-late 20s in Toronto. Like, you know, the list is so long. You have Batista Encarnacion, obviously the big ones. And then you have your one-season wonders, your Chris Colabellos, things like that. But, you know, why not? Like, maybe, like, it. It. it we're, we're well away from, we're, we're still, like, many games away from being able to say like, okay, this is, this is, a, yeah. this is a sustainable thing, not just a flash in the pan, but you know, you can dare to dream, right? Maybe they found another breakout player. Like let's, let's follow that dream a little bit here. If this is, if Zach Collins is 80% of this for the rest of the season, and he ends up being like a good hitter, one of those flash in the pan, even if that's all it is. And he's this year's Chris Colabello, but a catcher. <laughs> I wonder how things shape up throughout the rest of the year because Jansen's going to be healthy again at some point. You should be giving Alejandro Kirk at bats because I think he's had a ton of good at bats and he's starting to get rolling as well. So you would have three on the roster at that point, which is certainly Mm -hmm. doable, especially if Kirk's going to be like a pinch hit DH kind of guy. But then there's also Mourinho. And it's like, man, if you want that guy to come up at some point, all of a sudden you need to subtract a piece from the major league roster. And the likely thing here is that Collins cools off at one point and you go back to just doing the Kirk and Jansen thing and it's fine. And and we'll look back on this first month of the season from Zach Collins very fondly, but at the end of the year, he won't be around kind of thing. But I wonder if he does stay somewhat productive and they want to mix in Mourinho. Like my point is they'd have some tough decisions to make with the catcher position. I think that's that's a good problem to have. Oh, the, yeah. the thing with yeah, the thing is is um we're kind of realizing that as much as Zach Collins does it with the bat, he does not do it with the glove. That one play today <laughs> where like he just didn't know where the ball was. And that's fine. I mean, if like if, if this guy can come and show up and just provide offense and also be the like third string catcher you'd rather not be catching but he can catch then that's a good thing to have on your roster especially when it goes back down to 26 guys and you don't want to be carrying three catchers again so maybe we just wind up he's played some first base in the minors so maybe that's a thing that happens if his bat demands he's in the lineup and they'll find a way to get him in and the jays like we've said so like they so badly just need a left-handed bat and maybe they've just stumbled across one maybe Uh, Another guy who had himself a very, very good series was Santiago Espinal. This guy's having himself a very solid little run here. I mean, he cranks that one double. He's got the home runs in the series as well. Really good series from Espinal. And so much has been made about, you know, you know, he put on muscle, right? Like he's jacked up this year. Um, But he looked good. And like those two dingers, I know like the Crawford box, like, okay, that, that can be like chintzy sometimes, but still like a solid series from Espinal. Yeah, the offense, I mean, it's it hasn't really toned back at all. I mean, 
everyone kind of believed in Santiago Espinal and he just keeps hitting. He also seems to always come up in clutch in like a key situation. He just, he just, you know, we're obviously so far away from this, but he seems like the kind of guy who's just going to, in a playoff game in like a late September game, he's going to be the guy who hits just like a surprising home run. You didn't expect. He's just like really laying the foundation for that. It's yeah. funny looking back, there was, you see that tweet that was going around? It was a Jeff Passon tweet from what would have been like October of 2018 from when Steve Pierce was having his nuclear playoff run with the Red Sox. And that's making rounds again because the tweet said, let me just pull it up here. He said, when the Red Sox acquired Steve Pierce, the Blue Jays paid down his salary. So Boston owed just 1.5 mil for the remainder of the season. To get him, the Sox gave up Santiago Espinal, a double A second baseman who will turn 24 this winter, perhaps the single best trade of the 2018 season. So Passon just ripped Espinal off as if he, the, the Red Sox just gave up sweet fuck all to acquire Steve Pierce. And I mean, the Red Sox did great in that trade, but let's yeah. be real. The Jays did too. Like <laughs> this is a win-win for both teams. And it's just so funny seeing that now because it, it, it was portrayed at the time as that, as though they just got nothing in the trade. And he doesn't that also kind of remind you of like the Teoscar Hernandez deal, right? Like when they get him for Liriano and it's just like, you see that and you're like, Oh, is he like a bit of an afterthought kind of prospect here? Like, who is this guy? We know nothing about him. Then he turns into like a perennial all-star, right? And I'm not saying Espinal is going to be Teoscar Hernandez, obviously, but it is interesting, right? Like that trade happens however many years ago. And now you're starting to sort of reap the benefits of it. Yeah, seriously. I mean, I think they've done pretty well just finding, uh, I mean, you know, they traded away a lot of guys when they were blowing it up and a lot of the prospects they acquired just turned to nothing. But the fact that you're turning like a Steve Pierce signing, just like a a random guy who didn't do all that much with the Jays into a Santiago Espinal is a huge win. It's a huge win. And that also, in a way, I think makes it easier for for an organization to move prospects for impact players as well, right? When you can trust that your scouts will be able to find you at least on somewhat of a consistent basis, these diamonds in the rough that are overlooked by other organizations, then I think it makes it easier to do stuff like they did last year, where you're giving up two top tier guys for a Jose Barrios, where you're giving up a collection of prospects for a guy like, uh, for a guy like Matt Chapman, when you know that, Hey, our, our scouting staff is good. We're going to be able to find serviceable players. We can sacrifice two or three impact prospects to bring in a superstar player. I just, I just think it keeps the ball rolling longer for your organization. You know? Yeah. You can, you can pretty comfortably trade Austin Martin when your organization is capable of finding Zach Collins. <laughs> there you right. go. Yeah. hundred percent. Full circle. Uh, the last up we have here, Vladimir Guerrero jr. Three games in the series, three multi-hit performances for Vladdy. We talked at the beginning of the year, like, oh, is he going to be able to back up like what he did last season and all that? Um, yeah, he, he just might. And this series was a good example of it. He's already got 20 hits this year. Wild. I feel like the, the season's what, like, how, how deep are we into this? Like two weeks, two, yeah. and, two and a half weeks now? Yeah, this is the third weekend, I think. So he's already had 20 hits, five dingers, OPS is up over a thousand again. I think at this point, it's kind of like, it feels early on, like he's the... I shouldn't be talking about this is only April. That's kind of dumb, but it feels like he's, he's, he's kind of grabbed the, the MVP attention early. And I think it helps that the Jays are playing well and that they're well today. They were the top team in the American league. Yeah. And I think that would really help his case. I, I will say though, like it sounds early, but we do see this a lot where part of being in the MVP conversation is having your name in the mix early 
and just sort of being in the conversation all year, right? Like that kind of stuff does happen. So I think for Vladdy to be in the mix already is, is a really encouraging sign. If you're maybe one of the people who put a little money on that over with our friends at points bet Canada, Vladdy has actually slipped to second in the MVP odds race. Uh, since the last time we really? updated it, he's now down oh. to plus 350. Otani's jumped him at plus 300. The, the almost perfect game that he yeah. threw. That makes sense. Um, but it really does feel like, once again, it is going to be Vladdy V. Otani for the American League MVP. And like I it. and I don't think it's insanely premature to be saying that three weeks into the season. No, because that was the race last year. So yeah. why not? Like, we can comfortably say at this point, OK, he's 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 come out this year on a mission. Yep. And ideally, he just doesn't doesn't get cold all year and he just wins the MVP and the Jays finish first in the American League. And this is how this is how things go the whole year. And it's great. Uh, Let's switch gears and get to our three downs here from this last series against Houston. And the one I want to start with, and he's getting a lot of talk, it's Kevin Biggio. He has one hit so far this season in 23 at bats. Um, if you don't want to do the mental math there, he has a batting average of 0. 0.043. Yeah. It's not it's, great. <laughs> it's uh, the other thing we're seeing here. That's particularly disappointing. I think is 10 strikeouts, only three walks when Biggio was good. When he came up in 2019, he was a, very good player on the Jays. He finished higher in rookie of the year voting than Vladdy did. Wow. And in 2020, again, he was pretty good. He put up a 807 OPS. The thing that he was doing so well is he was walking all the time. 2020, I think was the best season of his career. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. He struck out 61 times. He walked 41 times this year. It's 10 to three. And it just, it feels like it. it I, I don't want to be too negative or too critical, but it almost feels like whenever he comes up, you do not expect yeah. even contact to be made. You just expect a strikeout. And it kind of feels, this is kind of what was said about him a few years ago. I remember it was Keith law that was saying this and people were like, Oh, fuck off Keith law. You're so negative. You just hate the Jays. But he said, okay, like once the league realizes this guy can't hit high heat, they're going to throw him high heat and he's not going to hit anything. And that's where we're at now. And it's like, you know, he's kind of found a roster spot as like the super utility guy he plays, you know, every single position bats left can draw a walk late on a bunt, but I mean, geez, if you have guys in Buffalo who are hitting the cover off the ball, then eh, I just don't know how long it lasts. Would you pull the trigger on that? Would you send him down and maybe just let him find his try to find his game for three weeks? I don't know. I just I'm not really sure if it's really finding your game. It's just I don't know if he has the ability to hit that kind of pitch. I hate it all. He never has. And maybe just never will. I'm if he is just the last guy on your bench and you're comfortable with his defense and versatility, then he probably stays in the roster. But again, if you have a Samad Taylor or somebody like that in triple a or even Espinal, if he's hitting like he is, then it's hard to validate keeping Biggio in the lineup as an everyday player. Yeah. Was it uh, like, it was a few seasons ago where they sent down Hernandez, right? They Oscar. Yeah. That was, that would have been 2019. Yeah. 2019. Um, and I mean, they sent him down and when he finally came back up, it felt like he kind of was a bit of a different player from that point going forward. Right. I think we're when getting, he went down Teoscar went down in mid May of 2019. He had a 562 OPS and he came back early June and the rest of the way he put up a 873 OPS. So yeah, that was like the huge turnaround. So I just I, don't know. I just you, don't know. Great. If he has the same skill set, right? And he might not, but I, I just think right now it's a guy who, like you said, every time he goes up in your head, you're thinking probably a strikeout, like not even a good at bat really come in here. Right. And I just think 
that's not serving much of a purpose and he's still a fairly young MLB player, I think there could be maybe something salvaged if you just let him go down, take some pressure off, go hit the ball in AAA, get some feel back, get some confidence going, and then bring him back up and ease him back into things. Like, I, again, you're, I just don't think you're getting anything out of having him in the bottom of your lineup. And with other guys hitting and the fact you can mix around the DH a little bit and a guy like Espinal can move around the diamond a little bit. Like, I, I don't think you necessarily need him right now. And I think maybe sending him down could give him some sort of a spark. But I also see your side of it where it's like, you may just have to accept this is what Kevin Biggio is going to be. And he's yeah, going to be the 26th man, 26th man on a 26th man roster who bounces around the diamond and just doesn't hit. Yeah, I think honestly, if he's going down, I think it's not even, I, I'm not even really looking at it as a reclamation project at this point. I'm looking at it as, okay, the rosters have shrunk back to 26 guys and there just isn't a spot. Mm-hmm. You know, Teoscar and Danny Jansen are healthy and Zach Collins is still killing it. So it's like, eh, there's our lefty bat. Fair enough. Uh, second down we have, it was a bit of a rough series for our boy Bo Bichette. In the first game, he did walk, but he finishes 0 for 3. In the second game, he goes 1 for 3. And here in the final game, he goes 1 for 5. So not great numbers from Bo. There was a couple of moments in the field as well that kind of had you doing the whole like, damn it, Bo. Like, it was a frustrating series, I think, for Bichette. Yeah, I don't want to be too hard on him for the defense because I think, I don't know, there was something about, I think I think it was Ricky Romero that yeah. uh, pointed this out on Twitter. He was like, the infield in Houston looks like mud. And the Astros <laughs> made a mistake, their shortstop made a mistake too, right? Yeah. At a pretty crucial time. So that there may yeah. be something to that. Pena made a mistake too. It was uh, at a critical time late in the, in the third game and the infield just looked whack. So I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt there. But the offense, you can't give him the benefit of the doubt at all because he has walked twice this season he's now struck out 20 times and i mean there was one of the at-bats um late in the game and it was swinging at a pitch that was like oh five feet away from where he was swinging and it was like dude this is just one two three like three strikes there was no no take nothing it was there was no approach and it was easy you got to slow this down like there was a narrative that was created early in bo's career where they were like this guy hits great with two strikes but it's that's not really actually accurate. You never want to be hitting with two strikes. He had a nice run in one season where he was doing well doing that, but that wasn't like the forever thing. He needs to start taking pitches because the strikeouts are just getting too much. It, it, and you know how you said with Biggio, like you go, he comes up to bat and you're like, huh, not getting anything here. When Bo comes up to bat, you're automatically like, all right, how's he going to find a way to get down 0-2 here or down 1-2 here? Like it just feels oh, yeah. like he's consistently chasing counts. And that's just obviously not a recipe for success. So I, I do think there's some, I, I, I just agree with you 100%. Like need to start taking some pitches here, need to start narrowing your focus a little bit and just not swinging at fucking everything because you're right. It's this weird narrative. That's like, Oh, he's great at hitting with two strikes. And it's like, okay, well, is he really great at hitting with two strikes or is he just always sitting at two strikes? So whenever he does get a hit, it's with two strikes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, hundred percent. It's like, I would just love to see him come up and just take two pitches. You know, if they're both strikes, then okay, fine just cut your losses. That's unfortunate. You, 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 you guessed wrong and they threw two fastballs down the middle, but I would honestly just love to see him come up and take an at bat and do that. It's just like, take a deep breath, slow it down and do that because I feel he starts every at bat down. Oh, two. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's frustrating to watch. Uh, the last down we have the Jordan Romano save streak is dead. Um, it was going to come to an end. Eventually he was not going to come out 
every single game that they needed him to this year and walk out of there with a clean inning, three up, three down or anything like that. Uh, But the franchise record save streak is dead. It's beyond impressive that he did it. But I want to take this as a bigger conversation of are they using him too much? Yes, they're definitely using too much. And I mean, I argued this back in the Boston series when Kevin Gosman was only at 88 pitches. Yeah, I understand that, you know, he's coming and facing the Red Sox for the fourth time. You don't really like that. But it was just a prime opportunity to give Romano a day off. And then even when he comes in on Friday, it was like, you know, it didn't look like he had his A1 stuff at all. He looked tired. And then Saturday, they give him the day off finally, and he comes in again. And inevitably, the home run happens. But to be fair, like you look at his baseball seven, it's not like he was, you know, it's not like he came in. in the, it's not like a Brad Hand situation where he came in just looked hopeless, obviously. He was pitching quite well. Like the Aledmus Diaz at bat, he struck him out on three consecutive sliders, and it was just dominant. And then he comes up, you know, Jeremy Payne, he's, he's a good hitter. And Romano's throwing 97.5, 96.6. So it's not like his velo is all the way down, but just big picture, you're looking at it. And it's like, this guy cannot be pitching, you know, five times a week, the entire year. His arm's going to fall off by June if they don't give him every once in a while, at least like consecutive days off. And the high leverage stuff too, it's like, it's, it's draining stuff. Like they're intense situations. It's, you know, you have a lot of relievers right now who are pitching very well. So, you know, don't be afraid to spread the love around. Like my friend Thornton's pitching well, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> spread the love. Yeah. And I, I think that's 100% where I was going to go is you got a guy like Jimmy Garcia, who's pitching well, Adam Sibber came in and showed you he can handle the pressure of a ninth inning tight ball game coming in and getting you a save. Although it did take a great play by Vladdy in that game to really cement the victory, <laughs> which was, it was awesome. The way Vladdy caught it looked like that ball was about to squeak right out the top of his glove, but he held on to it and made the play. But you're right. Like you have other options in the pen that are pitching. Well, it's not like this is the 2021 bullpen and Jordan Romano is the only guy capable of consistently getting outs. There are other options here. And I, I mentioned this on the last pod, like maybe they're weirdly freaked out about losing. Like they, they care so much about every game because they know every game could be the difference between you making it and you not like it was last year. But I just think you need to have a little bit of a big picture mindset when it comes to Romano and you know, you're going to need him consistently down the stretch. So it makes no sense to overwork him right now. Right. Yeah. But also I'm going to, I'm going to go and contradict us just to play the devil's advocate because we're, we're, we're very much so on the same page here, but could you imagine if they didn't bring him in in that Gosman game and <laughs> went and allowed three runs in the ninth inning or something like that. Like how angry would have been yep. like if, if in any of these games, they go to like a Garcia in the ninth and they end up losing, we would melt down and be like, it's time to fire Charlie. <laughs> but I right? think then that's something we need to keep in mind, right? Is yeah. Okay. Some parts of the fan base will melt down. Like Romano's sitting there. Why didn't he pitch? But like, I do think now that we're having this conversation and everyone at least watching and paying attention to the team should be aware of it. Yeah, when they don't go to Jordan Romano, if it's a one-run game tomorrow against the Red Sox and they don't go to Romano, no one should be sitting here being like, what the hell is Charlie doing leaving Romano in there? Like, let him work. We should know that the thinking is to maybe take the foot off the gas a little when it comes to the big the big closer. Yeah, definitely. I think, even, yeah, even if tomorrow they come in and somebody blows a save and it's not Romano, whatever, that's fine. We have to, we have to kind of accept that he's already pitched in like every single game this season. All right, let's uh, take a look ahead. Brought to you by our friends at the Sports Closet, sportscloset.ca. You can go load up on Jay's gear there. They will ship across Canada as well. It's uh, back to the dome for the Toronto Blue Jays as they have a four-gamer against the Boston Red Sox. And it's a Red Sox team that is seven and nine on the year, currently sitting fourth in the American League East. They have a run differential of minus six as well. And they're four and five on the road so far this season. There's also the added storyline of we don't know who's coming north with the Red Sox. 
Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. I mean, we know that um, Tanner Howe was not going to be pitching. Yeah. So he was one of the guys who was supposed to be lined up for a game in this series. So they'll call up somebody random. Who knows who it is? Boston's got a pretty decent-ish farm system. They've developed that quite well over the past few years. So I imagine they have a next man up arm yeah. and they'll be just fine. But it'll be interesting to see if uh, any big names on that team can't join. The pitching matchups for this series starting tomorrow night will be Nate Evaldi versus Jose Barrios, Nick Pavetta versus Kevin Gosman in game two. Gosman, obviously, like a week will be like a, a week removed at that time from his great start against that same Red Sox team. Michael Waka versus Ross Stripling is game three. And then game four, it's the old TBD going for the Boston Red Sox and Alec Manoa, the big man, going for the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, I think this sets up pretty well for Toronto. You're back home. You're comfortable. It looks like you have a nice little run of pitchers going with, you know, Barrios, Gosman and Manoa all slated to get starts here. Um, I I like the Jays heading into this. I, I think this is a series where, you know, very impressive. You took two or three from Houston. I'd love to see them just beat the wheels out of the Red Sox in one of these back at the dome. Um, but I do think the Jays are very capable of taking three or four from Boston. Yeah, no, undoubtedly. I mean, you have Barrios, Gosman and Manoa. Those are your best three guys going in one series. I don't think anybody that Boston's going to throw out there is particularly better than those three guys. I mean, Ivaldi's a good pitcher. Michael Walker's having a good start to the year. They've already drilled Nick Pavetta. <laughs> I mean, they know exactly what's coming from him. They faced him like seven times last year. So there's no secrets there. I mean, and then we have um, TBD for Boston. Who knows who that's going to be? But it, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to argue that the Red Sox have the advantage in this series when it comes to pitching. So given the way things are going for the Jays, you want to see them take three or four here. I mean, you've navigated the first little bit of this gauntlet stretch that we've been we've been worried about this since we learned about this schedule for the 2022 yep. season. And they're, you know, six games deep and they've won four games. So, you know. You take three or four here and keep the good times rolling. Yeah. And if you're able to take three or four, it also just takes, in my opinion, a little bit of pressure off you going into another series against Houston and another series against the Yankees, where even mm-hmm. you know, if you can take three or four from Boston, even if you go as shitty as it would be two and four in those final two series, you're walking away from a tough stretch with your head above water. And then, you know, you have a four gamer against Cleveland to maybe make back some of those wins. So it's, it's a big series for Toronto. They all are. But anytime you go up against an AL East team that, you know, is going to be buzzing around that playoff cut line, you want to be able to, to kind of put your foot down and create some separation. Because, again, I mentioned the fact that the Red Sox are seven and nine Jays on the year, 10 and six. If you can find a way to rattle off three or four here, you're going to be 13 and seven, and then you'll knock the Red Sox down to eight and 12. Like it would be nice to have that five win cushion already this early in the season. Yeah, seriously, because I mean, you play these teams so many times right now, that means you're not yeah. going to see them that many times down the stretch. So yep. if it is close later, they're not going to have that many heads, head to heads to bury Boston yeah, the standing. Exactly. So like you said, you do it now, you win, you go ahead and sweep them or win three, then you really knocked them down to start the year and you put them kind of behind the eight ball early on. All right, that's going to be a wrap for this edition of BJN Radio. A successful weekend in H-Town for the Bluebirds. Shout out to our friends at DoorDash, PointsBet Canada. And uh, just quickly for PointsBet Canada, the Jays for the opener against Boston. They are favorites. Minus 145 on the money line with Jose Barrios as the listed pitcher. Uh, shout out to PointsBet. Shout out to Sports Closet as well. Check them out, sportscloset.ca. Coombs, you're coming up to Edmonton. You're coming my way. I am. So I'm that means... To be- I'm gone Thursday and Friday, and then I'm back on Saturday here. So I might be at the game on Sunday, but I will be in Edmonton for Thursday and Friday, in which we're going to the Oilers game. Yes, we will be. Does that mean we're going to try crush out a pod in person at some point? When would that be? So it's that would be Thursday, right? 
Yeah, I guess I guess that might be Thursday, tough. So we we can do in person on Thursday for sure. Yeah. Is it an afternoon game or is it a daytime game or is it an evening game? Uh, let me check that. I didn't look at what the times were. I mean, even worst case scenario, we could just do one Friday morning. Yeah, we could even just do one Friday morning. Look at us just prepping for the listeners here to listen in. Uh, we definitely could have done this off the air. It's uh, it's a late one on Thursday, actually. So uh, yeah, we could do Friday Friday morning. We can do Friday. I mean, we can meet up on Thursday night and just get <laughs> Liddy like a teddy and record it. I know Friday is going to be a long night for <laughs> no, us. So I, I might need to save myself for Friday. We absolutely cannot be having drinks on Thursday. <laughs> Given what's is, ahead. Okay. All right. That's going to be a wrap. Shout out to everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We will be back later in the week with a new episode. Until then, enjoy the series against the Red Sox. Best wishes. Thanks for tuning in to Blue Jays Nation Radio, a member of the Nation Network of podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.